some place there's got to be a place where people are free to discuss what they know and what they don't know and to find out what they can. Radioactive Waves is presented by the National Museum of Nuclear Science and History. Together, we will explore all things atomic, nuclear, and radioactive, along with some interesting surprises from our museum's collections and connections. Hi, this is David Gibson, and I am here today with... I'm Anna Part, uh, and we're here recording a podcast for you guys. Yeah, so uh, welcome to our second edition or our second episode of Radioactive Waves. Thank you guys for coming and checking it out again. Um, And we want to give a big shout out to our Atomic History patron members. Uh, Thank you guys for your support. Uh, You are a part of what makes this podcast possible. So we've got kind of a fun one today. Uh, We're going to let and I kind of kick right into it. Uh, so I'm going to just take the back seat and she can tell you what today's episode is all about. Yeah, so um, a little bit of a behind the scenes uh, peek. This was actually originally going to be our first episode, uh, but we realized that we really wanted to focus the uh, nuclear aspect of our podcast and make sure that that was the first thing that we talked about. But then um, the world progresses beyond your (laughs) plans for things. It changed quickly, yes. This really amazing person is suddenly more relevant than ever. So we figured let's, let's make sure that he gets his place in history and in our podcast. So um, today we are actually going to be kicking off a a series of podcasts within our podcast uh, that are more focused on sort of the hidden treasures that I stumble across in the collections department. So like through specific objects that may not have been studied as closely, uh, they may not be out on display, they may have been in storage for a really long time. Um, But I, in my position at the museum, get to look at a lot of this stuff and I find it really exciting and really interesting and um, yeah, so this is... See, I don't get to see a lot of that stuff. I'm not (laughs) privileged to be in the position uh, where you get to see and, and, and deal with a lot of those artifacts. So that's pretty cool. So I'm I'm always surprised with the things that Anna uh, comes up with and shows us. <laughs> so this is a neat one today, too, talking about this gentleman. I'm I'm really excited. I'm really excited to get to talk about somebody who's maybe been overlooked or marginalized. Um, today, we're going to be talking about Garrett Augustus Morgan. He's this uh, amazing black man born in the, in the American South in 1877. Uh, he went on to become an inventor, businessman, and a prominent figure in the black community in Cleveland, Ohio during the 20th century. Um, if you're from Ohio or if you're a fan of black history, you may have actually heard of Garrett Morgan before, but uh, as a white woman from New Mexico, uh, my history specialization is advertising and packaging. Uh, I had never heard of him before. <laughs> I had never heard of him before. Uh, this was also the first time, yeah, when, when I saw what you wrote here, this was the first time I had heard of Garrett Morgan also. So uh, it really is a cool story. 
and he's really an important guy. Uh, two of his greatest inventions were the stoplight and the gas mask. Obviously, these were more uh, like prototypes of those of what we have today. But I mean, the fact that I had never heard about this guy is, uh, you know, shows that we should be talking about him. Yeah, and I I am a huge fan of um, not getting uh, T-boned when I'm driving. And so yeah, I'm right. definitely appreciative <laughs> of what what Morgan uh, what Morgan has done here. Absolutely. Um, so how I found out about him was that I came across a, 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 an image of him in our collections. Um, and this photograph that we have shows him standing in front of a display of stoplights and in, uh, in an exhibit of his inventions. And this image just, it really caught my eye. It, he, he looks absolutely so pleased with himself, as he should be. He's holding a cane in one hand and gesturing with the other, and he just looks pleased as punch with himself for having invented this and for getting <laughs> the recognition that he rightfully deserves in this uh, exhibit. And I thought, you know, well, let's see who this man is. Uh, and that's... That's how he ended up with this uh, subject matter. So his life's work was almost exclusively to advance public health and safety with his inventions. That's not to say that he didn't have other types of inventions, and we'll get to that in a minute, but his story offers a really interesting insight into race in America around the turn of the 20th century, um, as well as uh, up, and, up until his death in the 1960s. Um, that's not to say that his story is uh, all misery and sorrow. It is a story of success. He was a very successful man. And there's also a great anecdote about a dog. So we'll get to that too. <laughs> um, Anytime you can bring up the dog, then that always wins. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so he was born, like I said, in 1877 on March 4th in Claysville, Kentucky. Uh, his parents were Sidney and Eliza Reed Morgan. They were mixed race, and they had both been enslaved before the Civil War. Morgan's father was the son of a Confederate colonel named John Hunt Morgan, and unfortunately, his grandmother was a person whose name we do not know because the law recognized this woman as the colonel's property at the time that uh, Sidney Morgan was born. So this was a horrifically common occurrence in the South due to the hundreds of years of slavery that had permitted people to be treated as property. Um, this, that's why we don't have his grandmother's name. Um, I should also mention that at one point, the Claysville Courthouse used to have a statue of General Morgan in front of it, but the statue was actually moved to a cemetery in 2016. Uh, additionally, General Morgan's Wikipedia page does not mention his grandson, this great inventor and uh, oh, really? celebrated scientist. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe not scientist. He was an inventor. Certainly. Certainly. It well, it takes some serious science to do some of the things that he invented. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He certainly experimented with things in order to create his inventions. So I'll, I'll, I'll say he's a scientist. <laughs> I'm going to go with science. Yeah, I think yeah. so. I think so. Um, 
1891, Garrett Morgan was 14. He had completed six years of public education, and unfortunately, the KKK was becoming an increasingly active and dangerous presence in Claysville. So the combination of segregation within the town and poor housing conditions meant that houses owned by the black community in Claysville could really easily be attacked and burned. Um, so this made Morgan uh, make the decision to actually leave Kentucky and move to Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, here in Ohio, he worked as a handyman for a wealthy white landowner for several years. And during this time, he actually hired himself tutors in order to educate himself since he had no formal education beyond elementary school. How cool is that? This guy who was not making yeah, no a lot of money <laughs> hired but himself But he put the tutors. work in. Yeah, I mean, he was he was... In addition to being intelligent, he was obviously yeah. a very hardworking man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so again, unfortunately, the KKK ended up having quite a presence in Cincinnati as well. And Morgan was not uh, interested in that, shall we say. Um, he, oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. He felt that his life was important. And uh, so he moved again. That seems fair. That probably seems like a wise decision, yes. Yeah. So uh, in 1895, he moved to Cleveland, uh, which is actually a pretty interesting place for him to have moved because he probably didn't have any connections there. Uh, Cleveland had a very small black population at the time. So he was really um, making making a community for himself. He when, he when he first got to Cleveland, he worked in the textile industry for several different firms. At 17 years old, he was hired by Roots and McBride Company for $5 a week, which to, in today's money is $135 a week. So, so still not a lot of money, yeah. Definitely. Um, Morgan was promoted to repairman fairly quickly. Uh, he came up with a belt fastener that improved sewing machine efficiency, and he sold his patent for $150 in 1901, which in today's money is $4,000. So that's like a year's worth of <laughs> yeah. a year's worth of paychecks. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. This, this man was extremely enterprising and ex he, uh, a go-getter to the core. Uh, at 17. What was I doing at 17? I don't know. Not that. I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Despite his innovations and his real go-getter attitude, uh, Roots and McBride, the company that he was working for, uh, had a manager that told him that he was not allowed to fraternize with white women who worked for the company. Uh, this was a problem as Morgan had just met his second wife, uh, Mary Ann Hasek. Mary Ann was a bohemian immigrant, and although European immigrants at this time would have been considered uh, lesser than natural-born Americans, she was considered white by this time. And so Morgan said goodbye to his former employers and married his wife. And um, they started their own company. 
Uh, That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Marianne uh, would end up having three children with with Morgan during this uh, during their marriage and um, really supported him during their marriage. Um, So now we're going to move on to a very significant uh, moment in Garrett's life, a very significant moment in Cleveland history. Um, now, this is something that um, I, I might, you know, note, and this is purely conjecture, but uh, with, you know, with things that he had, I'm sure, seen, you know, mm-hmm. with the KKK and things like that, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and you mentioned burning houses and things like that. I mean, that's that's something that was probably um, on his mind. And like I say, that is strictly conjecture. Uh, but, you know, it when I see uh, this this invention, this gas mask that you're going to talk about here, uh, when I see the pictures, you know, you mm-hmm. kind of come to wonder, maybe this is something he had been thinking of for a good long while, <laughs> you know, to invent something like this, um, just because of some of the dealings that he may or may not, like I say, it's all conjecture, yeah. uh, you know, earlier in his life, though. Yeah, I think it's very possible that... Um this invention, the gas mask, he called it the safety hood. It was really a, a prototype of what would become the gas mask, um, was inspired by firefighters who had been injured while trying to save others. And I think that, I mean, your conjecture is totally possible. It, the fact that uh, he came from a community that was very easily burned to the ground, maybe he was yeah, thinking I mean, about the firefighters. Some- Right. I mean, that may have been something that, uh, you know, he had, it wasn't his first run in, I'm sure, with the firefighters yeah. and things like that. You know, it was something that, um, you know, and like I said, conjecture, but conjecture is fun as long as you, you know, put it a little bit in context. Yeah. <laughs> so people yeah. know this... uh, it is conjecture. But, you know, looking at this this picture that you've got of this thing, this Doctor Who looking. It's uh, very strange looking. <laughs> apparatus here. Um, it does look a bit. Is, is pretty crazy but you look at it and the science is there you know i mean they yeah. they tell you hey uh you know what do you do in a fire uh get as low to the ground as you can um mm-hmm. and in looking at this apparatus it, it covers the head uh and it has tubes where you would breathe mm-hmm. uh, the air from ground level and so you know that a lot less smoke down at ground level a lot less uh, particulates mm-hmm. down there so it's really, I mean, it's pretty good, uh, you know, when we were questioning whether or not this guy was a scientist, he is most definitely a scientist. Um, yeah. Because it really, you know, I mean, it's there's some good science there to that patent. Unfortunately, this is an audio medium, but I would love to show you this thing. It's like, a, it's, it's, <laughs> like it's almost like somebody put like a burlap bag over the head and then cut out little windows for the eyes. And then it has these two tubes, like like David said, that wrap around like back down behind the the person, but they start under the chin. Um, so it looks a bit like they're like tentacles um, that then turn into a tail. It's very it's very it's a very interesting yeah, that's what I was looking say. thing. Uh, you, if you if you picture the um, oh who is the the octopus headed guy from. Um... <laughs> uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, Davy Jones. The, with the, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, Davy yeah, Jones with yeah. the the yeah the little tentacles going down. Yeah, you can kind of picture what this thing looks like. Yeah, but yeah. So he made this amazing invention that uh, with 
with the goal of saving lives. And he applied for a patent and it was awarded. He, he award, uh, excuse me. He applied for a patent in 1912 and it was awarded in 1914. Um, this same year in 1912, there's actually a New Orleans newspaper story that ran, uh, that ran describing an advertising demonstration. The paper explained that thick smoke was made inside a tent, like pumped into a tent. Then, and I'm putting this in quotes, Big Chief Mason, uh, a man who appeared to be Native American and the assist uh, and appeared to be the assistant to a white actor disguised as a doctor and inventor uh, would demonstrate this safety hood by putting it on and then ducking into the smoke-filled tent. Then after about 20 minutes, he would pop back out and grandly demonstrate how he was unaffected by the smoke because he had been wearing the safety hood. So this was actually a tactic that Garrett Morgan used to sell his invention to people in the South. Although his device was fairly well received by firefighters in places like New York, uh, Morgan needed to distance himself and his race from the product in order for it to be taken seriously in the South. And unfortunately, he did use Native Americans as a way to sell a product. So this is a really interesting intersection uh, of uh, science and uh, people trusting doctors and inventors, but only if they were white. And uh, for some reason, finding this Native American character to be more trustworthy than if Garrett Morgan had just played himself. So... Right. Yeah, where uh, the the tears <laughs> mm-hmm. that you know people had um, wrongfully assumed, of course, but yeah, that that it would be okay. Well, it's more plausible that they're going to believe different stereotypes, like feeding off of each other. To very create... much so, and and yeah. I think that it it kind of also shows the wisdom of Morgan um, mm-hmm. that you know when he's being faced with that. He was wise enough to say, okay, well, I, you know, this is, this is a huge step for safety for everyone. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and I'm sure it didn't uh, hurt his pocketbook any either, no. <laughs> you no, know, but he... to, you know, to say, okay, well, this, I've got a way to market this. And, and mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that shows that the guy was, um, he had his wits about him in not only inventing uh, you know, but also in the marketing, because that's, you know, that's a lot of it that we see with a lot of inventors and things like that is, you know, maybe they're wonderful inventors, but in actually getting that product out there, uh, they have a hard time. So, you know, it's neat to see um, that faced with this adversity, with this, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, terrible mindset, he was able to say, okay, you know, I, I can get around this and I can still get this product out there. You know, it's just an, another no neat side note about him. Yeah, yeah, he played the system uh, to his inv- advantage, um, very and much so. Saved lives in the process and made money off of it, and unfortunately, that fed into some other stereotypes. But that's how history works. It's much more complicated than just this guy invented this thing and then made money. It's it's a complicated <laughs> mess. <laughs> 
Very much so. Very much so. Yeah, it's uh, hindsight has got a lot better vision sometimes, and sometimes it's just clouded. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. It, but yeah, that's a it's a neat you know part of the story um, because yeah. it is an, an unfortunate part of the story. You know, and and that's mm-hmm. kind of what makes it intriguing is that he was able to uh, kind of like you say play that system a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah, yeah, and I mean Morgan. Uh, won a prize. Uh, he won first prize at the at the second International Exposition of Safety and Sanitation, held in New York in December of 1914. He he won a prize for this invention. Um, between his admittedly a bit questionable tactics for selling his safety <laughs> hoods in the South and the accolades that he received in the North, uh, you you would think he'd be able to sell the product widely. However, it wasn't until two years later in 1916 that a moment of great misfortune and his own heroic deeds would actually turn into the greatest advertisement for his product that he could ever have, you know, thought up or uh, showboated. It, it um, yeah. So this, this moment in 1916, uh, there was a collapsed tunnel under Lake Erie, which caused several miners to be trapped in natural gas-filled pockets. Uh, after several men had entered the tunnels and not returned to the surface, somebody decided to call Morgan. Someone on the scene thought, oh, wait, this this guy with the safety hood, maybe we should... I remember seeing this thing, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so... In the middle of the night, Garrett Morgan and his brother Frank Morgan arrived with several safety hoods. Still in their pajamas, Garrett, Frank, and two white men, who were already on the scene, entered the tunnels using the safety hoods that Morgan had brought. Morgan led the way and was able to rescue two men still alive that evening, and eventually four other men were rescued as well. So because of his willingness to put himself in danger and to use his invention for the betterment of everyone, he was able to save a bunch of people. Unfortunately, Carnegie and City Hall gave awards to the two white men who had volunteered, but did not recognize Garrett Morgan or his brother for their role in in the rescue, despite the fact that City Hall actually attempted to award him $2,000 but the motion was actually stopped. This goes to show the racism that he faced even when he was directly saving lives. Not just a product of his was saving lives, but he was like in tunnels filled with natural gas saving people. Right. Even, you know, it kind of goes to uh, show that human nature when, hey, quick, uh, we need this guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the first thing yeah. you think of. We're going to run to him. Uh, but at the same time, okay, we're going to recognize. Um, then it's a little bit, yeah, different. So, you know, when we need something, you know, and that's something that we can all, I mean, you know, all of yeah. us can work on, um, mm-hmm. you know, in every aspect. But, you know, in this aspect, uh, you know, they weren't afraid of of calling uh, the black man when they needed him. But then yeah. when... Uh, it, it came time to give him the credit that he earned, that he and his brother earned. Oh, well, then it's a whole different ball game. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, the, the citizens of Cleveland, um, they finally banded together in the community 
and uh, with the International Association of Fire Chiefs and the Cleveland Association of Colored Men awarded him a diamond-studded medal as a recognition for his heroic deeds. So even though the government wouldn't recognize him, there were people who were stopping the government from recognizing him, the community really rallied together and said, no, he did a really important thing and got him this award. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, he also played a, a really important role in the black community in Cleveland. Um, I, I just mentioned the Cleveland Association of Colored Men. He actually, Garrett Morgan actually founded that association in 1908. And this association was actually eventually merged with the NAACP. Um, Additionally, in 1920, Morgan established the Cleveland Call, which was a Black-owned newspaper that uh, allowed him to continue to be an activist in his community and encourage others to be activists. Awesome. Although Morgan was best known for his innovations related to the safety of workers and the public, he had been researching an oil to prevent sewing machine needles from scorching linen fabrics back in his textile days. And Morgan noticed that the fibers in the cloths were straightened by this uh, oil that he was using. Morgan said, you know, I, I wonder what this could be used for. Uh, and he convinced his neighbor to let him borrow an Airedale, the, the neighbor's Airedale. <laughs> so this really curly dog. A curly haired dog, yes. Mm -hmm, to, to see if this solution would straighten hair. Uh, because this is something that uh, would be really useful and, uh, and was in high demand among the black community uh, for a number of reasons, partially uh, due to the fact that natural African hair is not uh, widely associated with professionalism. That's a very mild way to say uh, that a lot of businesses, especially at this time. <laughs> I think time, it would be easy to say that it was not in yeah. vogue at the time. Yes, yes. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. There, there, was, there was a racist uh, stigma against natural African hair. Definitely. So a lot of people wanted to straighten their hair. Um, and so he took this dog and uh, when he used the solution on the dog and then tried to return the dog to his neighbor without its curls, because surprise, the solution worked fantastically, <laughs> uh, his neighbor didn't believe that it was his dog. <laughs> Um, he, he fully, because I mean, just, like, really, didn't... you got to picture this straight haired Airedale, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's yeah. not right. Yeah. <laughs> very silly, very silly looking. Um, but, uh, seeing that it worked on the dog, Morgan tried it on his own hair and, uh, this straightener along with his patented straightening comb, which would be heated, um, sold in the black community of Cleveland and Morgan soon expanded his business and began to make good profits. Due to his success selling his safety hood and this hair straightening regime, Garrett Morgan was the first black man in Cleveland to own a car. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, and that is directly related to another one of his really important inventions, the stoplight. Yay, stoplights. Yeah. <laughs> 
he uh, he invented uh, it was a system that included an all-way stop. So there had been stoplights before this, but none of them had had uh, a mechanism to make sure that everybody is stopped for a second before other people go. Right. And he invented this after he had witnessed this really awful fatal car crash. And he thought, you know, if that car hadn't, ha you know, have tried to what we would call run the yellow now. Um, yes. Yeah. It's not a New Mexican stoplight. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, it's a really interesting invention. It uh, it requires someone to operate it. Yeah. So it, yeah, you guys have got to check out this um, this stoplight system that he's got. You can just, I'm sure, Google the Morgan Safety System and find that mm -hmm. stoplight there. In future podcasts, we're going to figure a way to get these pictures up online. So we'll yeah. we'll do that in later podcasts. But for now, uh, you, you just got to either this mental image or Google. <laughs> uh, we might need to get an Instagram or something. We will, we will figure that out for you guys. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, so finally, in 1924, uh, the stoplight patent was sold to General Electric for $40,000, which today is the equivalent of $603,777.78. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of money. Yeah. Um, he, he really was rewarded uh, for, for his life-saving measures. Again, for saving lives, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so... Garrett Morgan is still celebrated in Cleveland to this day as a hero for his inventions and the and the part he took in saving so many lives. Um, however, he's really not a common subject, and that's why we talked about him today. However, um, he did die in 1963 of cancer, but this was a couple years after there was an exhibition of his inventions that was held in Cleveland to celebrate his life and his works. And this is actually where the photo in our collection was taken. Uh, just a few months before his death, that, that picture of him looking so proud of himself and so, I mean, he looks vindicated to me, but I don't know if that's Definitely. me projecting. Well, he looks proud. He looks proud of Absolutely. what he's done and what he's accomplished. Yeah. 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 So even though he doesn't get as much recognition as he should, he his legacy definitely lives on. Uh, there is an elementary school named after him in his hometown of Claysville, Kentucky. There's a high school in Cleveland that is named after him. Uh, there's also a scholarship competition called the Garrett Morgan Sustainable Transport Competition that honors his memory. And so, um, yeah, we just wanted to recognize this really interesting and multifaceted man who I had the privilege of stumbling across from this photo in our collection. <laughs> and I think that's awesome. And I think that's the, uh, the heart of, you know, we're still early in this podcast, but I think that that's... Um, you know, the, the heart of what this podcast is, is uh, I'm excited to hear about and, and I, I really appreciate Anna for uh, for putting all of the uh, hundred thousands of hours into researching <laughs> these things. You know, she'll come across something that like, hey, this is awesome. Um, 
and you know putting the research and all the background into it uh, to make it something that that we can learn about and i say we because i'm i'm learning about it too um, well and, and so i really appreciate you anna that's awesome uh, you know i think that these are neat things that people don't get to see uh, even if you are in the museum yeah. and i don't know that a lot of people realize that a museum like ours uh, the parts that are you know currently on display are really kind of a small portion of mm -hmm. a lot of the things that uh, we have in collections and things like that you know i mean it would just take uh, you know such a massive you know building you know yeah. the size of a million walmarts in order to <laughs> I, know, display everything the okay so i made i was i was offered the opportunity to actually make a display for the museum when i when i was working at an in as an intern there um and i was so excited and i like got everything together did all the work got it um put it all in the case and um that was several months ago that was last year and now every time i walk past the case i just have to shake my head because i have crammed so many objects <laughs> <laughs> into one little like square case so that's right and and the, and that's just it you see these things and you're like yeah but this is cool and this yeah. is relevant um, yeah. You know, but it is. It's just a matter of square footage. We just don't have <laughs> you enough. You know, I mean, where are you going to put all these things? Yeah, we just don't have enough room to put everything that's interesting out on display. And so that's really what we're trying to do with this podcast. Right. So, you know, again, you know, just a, a shout out to our, you know, Atomic History patron members, uh, you know, that are helping foot the bills so we can make mm -hmm. this podcast. Yeah. Uh, because it really is cool to get a chance to... Uh, talk about these kind of things. I know we're going to be doing some interviews also in this for of individuals that were uh, and still are important to the museum mm -hmm. and also uh, part of history, yeah. you know. So I know we've got some uh, with Hal Bell coming up and things like that. And thankfully, we also have lovely and intelligent David to explain the science to me. Because sometimes <laughs> I will find an object and think, wow, this is so cool. What does it do? <laughs> um. and, and that's and that's that's the that's the epitome of a team right there. That is the epitome of a team. <laughs> I appreciate this wonderful podcast about Garrett Augustus Morgan, uh, and I think that's all we've got for this one. You got anything you'd like to add? Um, if you have any further questions or comments, please feel free to contact us at info at nuclearmuseum.org. So thank you again, uh, Anna. And uh, as you know, in any kind of media I ever do, uh, is don't forget to wash your hands. Thank you, David. Radioactive Waves has been presented by the National Museum of Nuclear Science and History. Join us next time for more interviews, histories, and insights on topics like the Manhattan Project, science and pop culture, the atomic age, and the differences between nuclear fact and fiction.